0: On today's podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you a recording of a recent webinar I was teaching all around perfect pitching. Uh, In this webinar, you'll hear me break down how you can build um, an easy to follow and easy to replicate pitching structure that's going to allow you to work towards working with your dream clients and shaping the career that you want to have in a way that you want to have it now today so that you can end up where you want to be in a few years time. So I hope you enjoyed the recording. Um, As always, if you have any questions, you can message me in the Facebook group or send me an email. Um, And that's it. So enjoy the recording. Uh, Thank you very much. Okay, so welcome to Perfect Pitching. I really appreciate you coming along. The whole point of this uh, sort of beta version of the course is to get feedback so I can improve it. I've run this as a workshop in person. It went down very well, Um, but I'm keen to kind of translate what worked in the room into a digital format that's actually really helpful for people. So um, I really appreciate you being here because I'm probably going to ask you for feedback and stuff afterwards. And as I said in the beginning, for those of you who are just joining, if you have any questions, there's going to be a follow-up session next week. And then if any of you want to spend one-on-one time with me going through any pitch decks you're putting together, I'm happy to do that as well. I know certainly had a couple of people from the workshop do that with me, Uh, and it was interesting to kind of see what they'd picked up and what they'd missed and and filling in those gaps for people. So without further ado, uh, I will crack on, and like I said, if anyone joins late or has any questions, just put them in the chat and I will address them. At a convenient point. So, this is perfect pitching. What I'll be covering today will be how to research opportunities when putting your pitch together, how to structure your pitch so it ticks all the boxes and psychologically is much more persuasive. There'll be pitch worksheets included um, as well, which I'll be sending out. And then I'll be answering your questions at the end with a more in depth kind of uh, QA next week. So the problem we all have is often leads aren't coming in consistently and when they do, they're not always the clients we want to work with. And the problem with that is obviously is a case of you're not picking the direction in which your career is heading and that when you lose control over the career, the direction of your career because the clients are choosing you, it can be stressful because we all have goals and hopes of where we want to get to. And so the whole point is that if you're not able to do that, this can slow down your success, which in turn, the lack of inquiries produce a scarcity mindset, which means you take on bad clients, which don't have further your career. And this sort of vicious cycle starts to kind of produce lack of confidence in what you're doing. And it starts to affect how much you care about what you're doing. So I found that what I've put together is the solution to this problem, which is um, a system that you can fall back on in hard times. It was really important to me when it comes to kind of lead generation, and um, it's always fairly random and sporadic. So I do quite like to feel that if if I feel leads are slowing down or I'm not getting the leads I wanted, I will obviously look at my marketing and find out what I'm doing wrong. But I do like to feel that is is. Is there something when I'm getting particularly sort of anxious about it as sort of something I can be working on, which I know is going to be generating the kind of leads and, and and trying to go after the type of clients I want. So I wanted to replicate and build a system which I felt could be produced easily and could be adjusted to suit the type of clients I wanted. So this is the system I'm going to teach you today. And this will be, a, like I said, a system that will give you control over your career because you're going to start to decide who you want to work with. And it can be replicated to fit any client. So once you've built the template and you understand how it works, you can adjust the variables and you can, like I said, reproduce this. And we will go into later different types of pitch documents that I've done. I'll be showing ones that have worked, ones that have failed. I'll be talking about why they did and they didn't work and different types of ones. This is um, a testimony from Alex who I've been working with. And I put together this uh, pitch template for him for Keller Media. And he's had a lot of success with it and he uses it as a structure to put together every pitch he does. Um, And as you can see here, he's generated a lot of new business with it. And what it it gives for him is this peace of mind because he knows that the template that we've developed and that I'm going to be sharing, it ticks all the boxes psychologically uh, and is fairly comprehensive. So it's this thing of, I don't need to worry about adjusting it too much beyond this. And it's fairly lightweight. It's not particularly weighty or hard or, or lengthy and can be adjusted to be as sort of um, as visually stunning as you want or just fairly you know basic. The structure is still the same. So my promise to you at the end of today's session will be, I'll be showing you the type of pitches that um, got me the opportunity to work. With people like Conor McGregor, and Pete corioli and Jay Sean. I'll be teaching you how it works and why it works and helping you to build your own pitch deck system. So let's get started. So the question to pitch or not to pitch. Why bother? As we know that it's time consuming and it's uh, you know, if you are pitching for work, it can always be speculative. But I feel it's very important that we choose the direction of our careers rather than leaving it up to be chosen by other people. I personally want that career... Choice, so I know that. Well, okay, if I want to be working with these type of clients by this time next year, I want to be able to try and reverse engineer those steps, so I feel that I, I'm working towards a goal. And in the recent podcast episode with James Dale, we talked about how do you end up working with those dream clients? And his advice was, you need to work out, you need to go to the type of clients you want to be working with, and offer to work for free on an initial job to prove yourself, um, because he was very much of the belief that. That would provide a very very compelling case study which would make it much easier to go on to the next like minded client and try and win um, their attention and prove that you're good enough so, like I said, this is all about um, choosing the direction of your career when you do that, you can get to where you want to go faster it's going to raise your profile and in turn by working with better clients it's going to increase your value perception of your services so module one we have to start with a strategy you need to be planning ahead and you need to try and think about where you want to be taking your career or your business or your agency in the future be that three five or ten years time and the way to do that is simply thinking about okay what are the type of clients i want to be working with and why do i want to be working with them why does that matter and then i need to reverse engineer the steps i need to get there anyway as i was saying you need when you understand where you want to get to and who you want to work with it's really important that you start to reverse engineer the steps you're going to need to get there. Hence this, we need to look into the future so we can work out backwards how to get there. So if you want to work with a particular, say, industry, this is the time that you're going to need to take to map out your path so you can focus on working on that particular industry because each one is going to be in a specific direction. Of course, there is element of overlap. So if you start with hospitality and restaurants, it makes it easier to move sideways into hotels and then gyms and stuff. But I find that the work that you're going to be pitching for and the clients you're going to be working with, they should all be leading toward an end goal. Um, and that needs to be considered before you start, just so that you know that every step you're doing is is working towards leading toward that goal. This was a really important step that I learned when I worked with Pete Corrielli Because if I wanted to work with more stand-ups, then this would have made a perfect strategy because once you get one, because Pete is so connected and so popular and all the other people in in the stand-up industry see what he's doing and who who he's working with, that would automatically open doors um, to work with other stand-ups if that was the industry I was going in. As it happened, I was more, I just wanted to work with him because I was a fan of his comedy and I found an opportunity to do that um, but it made me realize that probably because I don't want to work with stand-ups in general, um, this was one of those kind of like dead-ended approaches. So it's been beneficial, certainly. He introduced me to JJ Watt as, as Phoebe knows, and that's been great. But it made me understand that, okay, if I want to work, say, with hotels, who I'm pitching to needs to be key kind of influential people or aspirational brands or businesses within that industry, because then that will open up more doors to work with more like-minded clients. So that's why I talk about starting with a strategy. It's very good to consider who do I want to work with before I do the research and the hard work of putting all this together. So section two, it's all about the preparation. And for this, um, the front load of this deck is all gonna be about understanding the value of doing your preparation up front and preparing. And I'm gonna share with you the mistakes I made so that when you've got the pitch structure what will happen is the more you do it, the structure won't change particularly, but the prep and the research you do to fill the information and to decide who you're going to go after, that will change. So we need to develop some sort of process that is um, easy to replicate and limits time and is efficient. And the balance I've found with when you're doing these pitches, you always have to have a combination of what you offer and what they need. And it's the sweet spot in between. Without either one, it's not going to work. So if you cannot find an opportunity or you cannot solve a problem for them, they're not going to accept what you're offering because then it becomes slightly too subjective and vice versa. You might have found a problem such as, oh, I think there's, you know, their website could do with optimizing. But if I'm a photographer, or I do branding. That's not particularly helping me either. So I need to make sure I find that sweet spot between solving a business problem for them and actually me being able to be the person who I can deliver that for them. So, this is when I talk about Groundhog Day, and it's this thing of it's looking for the opportunity to help rather than being opportunistic. And this. Oh, no. I tonight.
1: can't believe I fell for this. This whole day has just been one long setup.
0: No, it hasn't.
1: And I hate fudge. Yuck.
0: No white chocolate, no fudge.
1: What are you doing? Are you making some kind of list or something? No. Did you call up my friends and ask them what I like and what I don't like? No. Is this what love is for you?
0: No, this is real. This is love.
1: Stop saying that. You must be crazy. I could never love someone like you, Phil, because you'll never love anyone but yourself.
0: That's not true. I don't even like myself. Give me another chance.
1: That's for making me care about you.
0: Stop it. So I bring that in because I want to make the point of when you are trying to force your agenda onto the client and trying to find a problem that isn't there and trying to persuade them that they should work with you, it never works. It's this thing, whatever we do, we always have to consider what is in their best interests. Because ultimately, if we're going to someone and we're pitching to them cold, the knock-on effect, which sometimes I've overlooked, is if they're going to implement what we're recommending or working with us, there is a financial cost to them. And it has to solve a real problem. So in the, in like I said, in the, the groundhog day, you know, one of my favorite films, when he tries to force the situation on other people to, to suit themselves, it doesn't work. It's only when he begins to listen to actually what do they want that he can offer, do things begin to unlock itself. And that's how we have to approach this situation. We have to be putting their needs first and, and trying to genuinely help them with a with a genuine problem that's gonna really work. So usually when it comes to like, okay, how can we help people? And The areas I always look to kind of start with if when I'm doing research is, can I increase their value perception? So again, from a branding point of view, what can I offer that's going to make them seem more expensive? This might be improving the photography, adjusting their branding, maybe refining their copy. Other things that we can do to adjust, maybe the packaging layout, whatever it might be, the typography that's going to allow them to charge more money and attract a better quality clientele. So that'd be the first one. Can I help raise their value perception? Or maybe I can help them attract new customers. So this could be, again, with a marketing strategy. It might be, instead of making their branding look more expensive, but maybe appeal to a new demographic that they hadn't thought about. The other thing would be increasing awareness. So this would be more around the leads. If your specialism was PR or social media or strategy like that, then maybe you could kind of go, look, I don't think you're tapping into this market as well. Or I've noticed when I did this research, this could happen for you. Or have you thought about collaborating with these people to whatever that might be Um, improving if inefficient in sorry, improving efficiency. So they might have a a system within their business that, you know, an app or you have an app or a service, or there's something that you could do that could improve how they do it. You know, maybe they're doing a repetitive task too much and you felt actually, did you know, that I could help you automate that entire thing using Zapier and Basecamp or something like this. Depending on what your skill is and what your service you're offering, that could be another way in. So although you're not exactly making the money, you are certainly saving the money, which is the next one, which is to save costs. And that might be, again, you might have looked in their system and found that, well, I can offer you cheaper website hosting or I can offer you cheaper social media strategy, whatever that might be. That might be another angle in. And the other one might be to do with, say, retaining talented staff. Um, I know particularly in the hospitality industry, the churn of staff is a real concern. And if you can keep your best people, you can build a really good team around that and attract like-minded people. So this might come into kind of, you might be into building culture or brand purpose or doing something around that um, that is going to help them. So these are the kind of areas I would be looking at to see where can I offer something which is going to really help them. Next, you want to think about who do I want to approach? So when I know kind of what am I going to offer? Who am I going to be talking to? And this is kind of, again, choosing the businesses I want to work with. So the, the considerations I'm going to make here is what industry are they in? Because is that an industry I want to move into or I want to work in? Um, the size of the business. What's their turnover? Um, you know, again, if they're a massive business, what's my competition for trying to do that if they're too big and i'm you know just it's just a few of us or just me on my own maybe i can't service that so if for example like hotel chain if they have 50 hotels i cannot service that hotel chain effectively because i haven't got the manpower and maybe i don't want to because i don't want to have to start hiring people to delegate work to to do that so i might look at maybe a small boutique chain that maybe has 3 hotels that i think there's potential for growth and i really kind of like what they do Again, with turnover, we're looking to see, can they afford to invest in our services? How much money are they making? Um, Is it going to be worth it if they're not making much money and they haven't got much budget? Then it's probably not worth our time in the first place. Because, again, we want to be working, always going upwards and working with gradually, if not more aspirational, but more um, lucrative clients as we move forward. Location is another factor. Uh, I know people who would say they'd rather just work with local businesses and try and keep the business within their local area. So that might be a factor of where you want to choose them. Um, Or it might be a case of I don't want to work with a company in Australia because they're halfway around the world and I can't travel to see them. And for me, the relationship is all about that person-to-person contact. Um, The other thing might be that you're just very passionate about them. So it could be like a sports team. You know, I might want to work with Arsenal because I support them or... I, like, You know, is there a way of me doing that? So as long as I know what the reason is that I'm going to be going after them, and I've analysed that there's enough to benefit me for me long term, then I can begin to put the together the pieces to justify why I'm going to go after this type of client. So we also have to consider what is it going to do for us? How can that, having them as a client going to help us in our reputation? And this is going to be the main things. It's going to come down to well, if I'm working with that client or I'm doing a certain role within them. Within that for them, sorry, then that's going to help me raise my reputation. So it might be, um, so for example, I'm working uh, with NYDG, which is the New York Dermatology Group at the moment, on a global campaign to raise awareness for albinism. And um, for me, what I was looking to do when I was working with them is, is more strategic work. And because I'm leading the campaign on strategy and it's a global campaign, there's a lot of responsibility. And I'm working with some really good people, which is the second bit, which is in this particular case, we're working with um, an albino supermodel, the campaign launches in Times Square, uh, the photographers, a Nat Geo photographer called Stephanie Sinclair, with I think with also got Donna Karens involved. So there's some really good connections. And what I've noticed is when you're in that world and you're talking to these people, they can introduce you to other people very easily. And that might be why you might want to go after it. You might say, well, if they're well connected and have a good reputation, can they introduce me to other people? So not only am I raising my own reputation within the industry because it's a a flagship client or, you know, I'm being given greater responsibility. They might be well-connected, so that might be the other way. So this, because this is a charity, so that might be another angle. I might look to work with, you know, a non because of the people that are on the board. That might be, you know, something that appeals to me. The other thing is obviously revenue. We want to be always looking to work with slightly bigger clients on bigger jobs in the hope that that will attract like-minded clients who've also got that revenue. So again, if you're pitching to do a rebrand of a flagship company, so if I say I rebranded Aurora Aurora Media in London, they're sort of a sports production company um, valued at about 10 million. So they, they do a lot of work all around the world, Formula E and all that kind of stuff. If I wanted to get like-minded small to medium sports agencies, there'd be a perfect one to approach because I know there's probably about seven or eight within London who are similar. And if I can do a good job with them, it's going to make my conversation with those other people, if that's my strategy, much, much easier. And because I know that they're making the money because they were recently sold for 9 million, I know they potentially got the revenue to afford a rebrand. So that, again, that's positioning me to elevate me from the clients I'm currently working with on bigger jobs. And the final point might just be pride. You just might feel proud to contribute and be associated with that person. And I think for me personally, working with um, Phoebe knows with JJ what that was a pro bono deal. But working with him and for his charity because of what he does filled me with tremendous pride and I really enjoyed that experience. So that was more personal satisfaction. The next question we need to ask is what do they need? So this is back to the Venn diagram of what they need and what you offer. And it's a combination of finding um, an opportunity to sell in what you do, but then thinking, what can I offer that I'm doing? So this might be a rebrand. You might be able to restructure their site so it converts more. You might be able to write some sales, copy, improve their photography, um, develop a social media strategy, help them break into a new market. When you begin to find the need that you can help them with, that is linked to a monetary gain, then the conversation becomes much easier to have because it is a genuine need. So this is where it's a lot of work initially considering all these things, but the more you do it, the more you'll spot opportunities without realizing it. So you'll come across a brand that you've seen and you'll be like, oh, wow, that would be a great fit for, and then you'll see an opportunity. So this is the case of by doing this sort of preparation and getting into this thought process, you will find opportunities without looking which will mean that when you've spotted the opportunity, you can quickly put together a pitch deck and get in contact with them. The final put, well, as we move closer, was who do we need to reach? And I know this is a kind of crucial point as far as who within the organization are we talking to. So it might be that you're talking to the founder and they have the power, or it might be a group of people depending on the size of the organization. And the one consideration would be the gatekeeper. So it's not always easy to reach the person we want to because they're really busy or they have a PA who guards that position. So even if you do deliver the pitch or the pitch document, if you get it printed and delivered, there's no guarantee they'll see them if you haven't won the favour of the gatekeeper. And I noticed that years ago when I was trying to get into Sarchi and Sarchi the way we got in was from the gatekeeper. Now the boss who was handing out the positions of hiring at the time, we could never get time with him. He always offered to meet us, but he was always too busy. But Linda, his secretary was wonderful. And because she, we got on very well with her. She was the one who unlocked it for us. She basically told him off for continually canceling our meetings with him. And that's what got us in. And if it wasn't for Linda, we would have never got in because she was so good at keeping people out And so we gave her flowers and chocolates and thanked her very much. But it was winning over the gatekeeper because the gatekeeper had such influence of the key person that opened the conversation. So it's always important to consider who are we trying to reach um, and then the strategic approach to get our work in front of them. Uh, Another example I had was I sent three pitched books to three different people within one company on the same day with a view to sort of following up with all of them. So I had the advantage of they'd all receive the deck without me needing someone to go, oh, this is great. I'll show it to my boss. The boss had already received it. And I was kind of very open about I've sent it to all of you because I want you to see it and I know you're all busy. And by doing that, so I know another example is like instead of going for the CEO who might be the top person in the company but doesn't have the clout, maybe you would go down the tier. So this is when you're looking on LinkedIn, you'd go down to the sub tier to maybe target people in the marketing department so like the brand manager and the marketing manager and someone else and if they all receive your pitch deck and really like it and they present it to the boss because it's coming from three people that he respects he's much more open to going oh i'd love to see it where if you go the other way top down they might be dismissive because they've already got contacts or someone who can handle it so that's the thing we need to consider and often you can do that with linkedin so let's do some research First place I always start when I'm trying to find an opportunity or, or a chink in the armor is to look at their website. This is going to tell me lots of things, but particularly I'm looking at where is there room for improvement. And here are some starting points I'd consider. But often the copy is a good start. You know whether you can find um, typos or any mistakes is always uh, it starts a conversation. Or you think you can rewrite it to be more compelling. I know if you've done the story brand kind of framework, he's very red hot on. The fact that there's uh, websites are overly complicated and he feels that with a few simple changes such as adding adding, um, a very obvious call to action and adjusting the opening message on a site, you can improve conversion. So that could be an easy approach you could take. You could look to find better quality photos, whether you do that yourself or you source them from Unsplash. Um, You could improve the layout. You could see what their logo looks like, whether it's um, attracting the right kind of customers. How easy is it for the call to a call to action? Do they stand out? Is the content compelling? Is it boring? What does it look like on a mobile website? And have they got any broken links? That won't be one place to start. So we always look at the website. The other thing I always like to check is the social media. So if I'm evaluating their social media, I would look at kind of, I would look at how often are they posting and when they post what is the quality is that so the photography the caption the hashtags and then i'm looking at the metrics how popular is it what's the engagement can i see any form of strategy or is it just chaotic is it being posted by a sort of app or is it native Um, and then i would analyze each kind of platform and try and see if there was a gap of where they were perhaps not doing it or struggling or i felt i could offer you know opportunities one, which is duplicate content, which is obviously we are not preparing content that's native to the platform, is often a sign that it's being scheduled. Um, and there's nothing wrong with scheduling apps, but then you could start talking about how it doesn't. the algorithm doesn't favor that and actually you should be producing your content to suit the platform, the audience, and the psychology of that audience when they're consuming it. If social media is your thing, that's going to be your opportunity to get in there. Um, I would also look at their industry. And the way I would normally do this is you draw up a very simple X, Y axis and on one side of the axis, you're going to have price from cheap to expensive. And on the other axis, you're going to have what you feel is the most important to their customers within that industry. And by doing that, um, you're going to have be able to put together a simple kind of uh, grid where you can plot them and all their rivals. And this will allow you to kind of understand where is, where is it particularly crowded? Where might there be an opportunity Um, so an example i think i saw seth godin give was he talked about the pizza industry and he talked about obviously cheap pizzas and expensive pizzas and then he talked about the speed so fast pizzas and slow pizzas and his argument was obviously like a cheap fast pizza is a frozen pizza from a supermarket and a slow expensive pizza is a handmade pizza from a restaurant if you are thinking right okay i can plot all the access points along this grid and they're going to usually go diagonally and you've got obviously the posh restaurants in one corner and the cheap and cheerful ones and the delivery options in the other an opportunity might be could we provide a very posh gourmet frozen pizza so it's a fast pizza that's super expensive so like maybe like a 30 dollar pizza that people cook at home i'm not saying they would definitely, definitely do that. But you might find if no one's doing it, then it raises the question, there might be an opportunity to do that. And again, within this, you'll be able to isolate who are their rivals. And again, if anyone has entered the market and is doing particularly well, are they under threat from anyone? Is there a particularly overcrowded bit? And then you go, well, if there's lots of people competing for this market, clearly there's demand for it, but how can I help my target brand stand out? What can I do that's going to elevate them above everything else? So that might be one way I'd look at that. Um, when we talked about the target person to target, um, this is the kind of this is important because later on we're going to try and do something to stand out to that person, and by trying to win their heart as well as their head. So when we're looking, we'd be looking again at the website and LinkedIn to kind of go, who are the decision makers in the company and what positions do they hold. So this would be, you know, you're looking at the team, the founder, key positions within LinkedIn. And I would try and begin to understand a little bit about their business. So I might want to be reading blog posts. I might want to be following them on social media. I want to get inside their head and understanding what they're into, what they're passionate about. And also kind of just, if I knew of anyone who's in a similar position, understanding what pressures are they under. So those of you who do more strategic work will understand how you break down demographics and psychographics and needs and providing solutions but it's really just that thing of you can probably gain enough information about the pressures they're under in a job and the expectations put on them for this job and therefore you can kind of go in there with that thing of I can help alleviate that I can help take this away I can allow you to do this give you peace of mind better work balance whatever that might be Um, It might be win an award in their industry that they're passionate about. I'm not quite sure at this stage, but by doing the research on the key person, you're looking to understand what their work life ambitions are, as well as their personal passions. So that would come down to um, food, drink, travel, pop culture, nostalgia, and sports teams. Something in there is going to lock in and sort of, you know, allow you that chink to get in and and certainly grab their attention by referencing something that's close to their heart. Okay, now it's all about delivering value. When we put the pitch together, we've found an opportunity, we found the need, we've decided what we can offer, and we understand who we're going to be talking to. We need to now justify what we're going to expect, be expecting them to spend money on. Because if you're going to pitch to someone, say, asking to rebrand, to capture a new market, that's very easy. ultimately well, I've been in that experience before. Um, I'll show you later, but I did it with Cornish coffee. I was convinced that if Cornish coffee rebranded in a more stylish and artisan way, they could capture that market rather than the kind of um, fairly standard theme park market that they're in at the moment. And I thought, yeah, if I do some cool and stylish branding, of course they'll buy into it. I was, I used to have Cornish coffee and I got rid of them for a more stylish brands. So surely there must be more people like me having run a hotel, but I didn't, I underestimated the implication of if they did go ahead and do that, it's tens of thousands of pounds to implement that rebrand, let alone pay me and, and the time it would take to do that. And it was actually unsuccessful. And I'll show you the pitch later. But I think a lot of it was that I, I, I put too much of my agenda, which was I wanted to produce great work that would look good in my portfolio, instead of thinking about what the knock on effect that would be for them. So when we this is always a key consideration, we need to think about if we're going to pitch to them, we've got to find a way of paying for ourselves because if we can justify that we will make them more money, it's much easier to say yes to, to what we're proposing. So obviously, we need to think about how can we make them more money? So can we help develop products, offer more services, do a promotion, create more content that will attract customers, help them run a competition, you know, and there are, there are multiple ways to help them generate money. But you need to probably factor that into what you're saying, whether that's in the meeting when you get the meeting or as part of your proposal is the opportunity in the market you feel that they could take advantage of. There's going to be three things. One of the first one is always how can you make them money? The second is if I can't always make them money, can I make can I generate awareness and can they capitalize on that awareness through secondary means, through building, following email lists and those sort of assets that then they can market to further down the line. So this comes down to increased marketing, doing some advertising, working with influencers, improving their social media following promotions, helping create events or doing PR, all of these things are going to help bring them awareness. So if this is under your uh, level of expertise and something you can offer, then like I said, this is the angle you're probably going to want to go down because you've got the track record of success, but also you're going to you know, be able to deliver on this as well. And that's going to appeal to them. And the third way, which we touched on a little bit earlier, which is increasing efficiency within the workplace. So this might be um, providing solutions that, or training that you could do. Maybe you can provide education or help them outsource what they're currently doing to sort of freelancers, putting in systems in place, um, building apps for them. It could be all these things. Um, an example might be if you offer video services, you might say, well, look, we can help you record some sort of staff training manuals and screen recording. We can get that all edited and captioned up so that you can build a a sort of um, resource library so that when you onboard new staff, you don't have to repeat answering the same questions. You can just send them to this library where they can watch videos that you've already recorded and it's going to save time and make everything more efficient. So that might be an option there. So again, if you if you think that well, that won't necessarily generate money and it won't generate awareness, but it will certainly help them improve what they're doing and you know help them probably save time, that might be your way in if that's what you want to do. Making the first move. So we're getting closer now to actually putting the pitch together. And this is kind of crucial. And again, um, I've certainly this would probably come under the Cornish coffee thing, but this is it's so important. That again, when you go into this situation, your intent is always more about helping them and delivering value rather than winning the business first time round. It takes the pressure off if you're going to focus on how you can help them, but also um, they might not be ready for you just now. You know, you're coming to this and sort of projecting what you feel you can offer on them without fully knowing the intricacies of their business. Which means that, you know, they, they they might like what you propose, but they just haven't got the budget or, well, we'd love to redesign our website and give that job to you. But we're locked into a contract with our current agency for another six months. So the intent is always got to be on over delivering. And you've always got to make a great impression when you do that, because when your intent is always to deliver value first and win the business second, it's that feeling you're going to create for them and their experience of you is going to make you memorable and they're going to want to come back to you the other thing is you need to actually contact someone to see if there is an opportunity so if, like we said with them, um, if they've already contracted to an agency and they're not going to be doing the rebranding then there is no opportunity regardless of how good you are because that's already locked down so these are things again you need to try and understand okay if I don't reach out and I do this all on my own without checking to see if there's a chance that I could speak to someone, it's massive amount of time wasted. So it seems like a very basic requirement, but contacting them to see if they would be interested in what you'd like to offer is the first thing you have to do because if they say no, then you save yourself a huge amount of time. So that would always be very important. So there's a combination of you gather the research and the information to find an opportunity. You phone up and contact someone and say, look, I think I've got a great opportunity around this. Um, would you be interested in, if I put together a little proposal, would you? is that something you'd be interested in? And that's enough um, because you need to get an answer before you start. As I said, this is going to come down to a call um, DMing them online or maybe send them an email. I personally would rather want to speak to someone or I definitely want to get an answer either way, even if it's no before I start. Because having been in a position where you put everything together and then send it, um, it's it again, it's, it's a balance of it's frustrating because you wasted time and resources. And it's like, you know, it's a bit disappointing because you just think, oh, I could have done that differently. And, you know, like I said, doing your due diligence to see if there's an opportunity beforehand uh, is really important you could say it's probably checking for a wedding ring before you ask someone help and with always um when it comes to communicating it's the combination of you know making an impact and getting a result and getting an answer and how easy that is so although a dm is easy and can be scaled uh, i do think that you really want to get a definite answer before we start and that is Uh, Like I said, I've done this with the pitch and failed. And that was because I didn't do this. I kind of, again, I got excited. I thought I saw an opportunity when there wasn't one uh, and I went ahead and did it anyway. So like I said, you need to get an answer before you start. Otherwise you're going to waste your time. So when we wait for the answer, it's either going to be good or bad. And unfortunately, if they say no, then there's no problem at all. Like I said, it's always good to follow up, thank them and keep in touch because There might not be an opportunity now, but we want to make sure there's an opportunity possibly to have them on our radar and stay in touch because clearly we've seen something that they might benefit from. And quite often clients have come back to me and said, do you remember when you sent us that document um, last year? I think now we're in a position to actually work on that if you're still available. So you never know it's completely dead. So it's like I said, be polite and just follow up. If they say yes, excellent. We can start making the proposal and start putting it together. And this is where we start to build the proposal. So what I would do is briefly, before we get into the structure of the proposal, um, if there's any questions anyone had, just briefly, I'm happy to answer them now. So I think there's a chat option or you can unmute yourself and ask me a question. If not, I will just sort of carry on. Okay. I'll just carry on. So this is the structure of the proposal. Um, This is how I structure every proposal I do. And it has the key elements and I will break down how each element works and why it's important. Uh, I got just one in the chat just for I check. Okay, let's go. So the secret formula that I've done and I've put together, I work with, and it was first introduced to me by my business coach, Matthew Kimberley, um, who's a a phenomenal coach and sales coach. And it's a case of it's taking what all I work with him, and then just refined it for what I found was working, what was replicable. And everyone has a different system, and there are different proposal setups. You can get all of them online, and some are great, some aren't. Um, it's really down to uh, the size of your business, who you're pitching to, and what you're offering. So obviously, the higher you go, um, for example, the the Christo from the future has a blind proposal which I've seen. And, you know, it's it's a huge, very weighty and impressive proposal, but that would make sense because he's pitching on bigger jobs and it's a bit like the, some of the proposals I would see when I was working in the advertising agency. It's kind of, it's all very much shouting about what you've achieved and the big clients you've worked with and, and winning that trust rather than perhaps the nitty-gritty which comes secondary. This is the structure I would advise because it puts the client's interests first and people always love to read and hear about what's relevant to them ahead instead of us selling ourselves again it's the groundhog day thing put their needs first so the first part is the introduction so when you start with the introduction it's usually pretty brief and you're going to introduce yourself say thank you for them giving you the time to go through the proposal but let them know what to expect so what's going to come up how you're going to be doing it so they understand what to you know what they're going to be reading as we go so uh, an example might be thank you for taking the time to write a proposal over the next few pages I'll be outlining my thoughts our solution and the next steps something like that really open but it's just a chance for you to say thank you and introduce yourself the next part is where you outline your thoughts and you begin to explain the situation as you see it so the important thing here is to talk about them it's not about you Uh, you've got to focus everything about them Talk about how much you admire their business, uh, the things you have in common from a philosophical point of view, why they stand out to you, why you like them. Lots of compliments in this first section. And you have to understand that you have to demonstrate an understanding for their business and an empathy for the situation they're going through. And this is kind of, it's building that rapport. So it's very much outlining that we get you, we understand, we feel the same way, you know, and all these kind of things, you're building that rapport and flattering them in the beginning to, you know, keep them engaged. You also get the chance to kind of name drop a little bit um, and draw parallels between them and other big brands you might have helped. So it might be a case of um, when you're doing this, obviously, like, uh, you know, you remind us of, or this situation reminds us of a time when we were with X or you're a bit like this brand. So again, it's flattering compliments and showing empathy and understanding. And there's kind of empathetic statements you could add in here and, and what it, you know, there's the sort of leaders. So we understand how it feels to know blah, blah, blah. we have to experience like you. We're frustrated by, we care about you, you. are like, it's always putting the emphasis on them and it's just trying to show that you are like them and you are like-minded and you've got a lot in common and building that rapport initially. So that's really important and like I said it's it's all about them at that stage. You need to then start to move on to talk about the problem and their ultimate desired outcome. So this is where you're kind of this is the your observation of the problem as you see it. So you're going to go okay you're like so and so had a similar problem. From our point of view we see the opportunity here you're you know you're you're For example, Cornish coffee, if I go back to that one because it's on my mind, you would talk about how you uh, the the appearance of your brand, um, by having this look, you're not capitalizing on a growing artisan coffee market, um, which could be very lucrative. So that might be where you talk about, you know, you're not being rude, but you're just explaining that there is an opportunity and there is a problem. And you're going to kind of remind them of what's, potentially there. So if it might be your, you know, your look might be stopping you from being embraced by uh, an ever growing artisan coffee market valued at. So it's this thing of you're making the reminder that, you know, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but we can see an opportunity in the market that you're not taking advantage of. Then you need to create the distance. So this is the thing of reinforcing where they are now and where they could be if they work with you. So it's a kind of I'm showing you where you are in the present day. I'm building rapport. I'm explaining the situation as I see it from my experience and kind of, look, there's an opportunity you're not taking advantage of. I'd love to help you take advantage of that. And then we're trying to go, can you imagine, you know, this is what it would take to get there and just reinforcement of what this might look like um, if you were working together. So this is where you would start to talk about the artist. You're looking for a stylish brand that's going to help you break into that market that isn't going to affect your current audience of Cornish coffee, but it's going to be embraced by a new arts and market and allow you to expand. So you're, you're saying the opportunity is the, is the expansion into that market or to attract that certain customer or to raise your prices. And then you're going to talk about what that would look like if that was actually happening. You need this, this and the other. So you begin to demonstrate your authority of explaining, this is what you need. And I know that and I'm telling you, this is what you need. So this is where you'd bring that in. Otherwise the consequences will be dire. So this is when you're injecting a little bit of fear and scarcity. So again, there is a timely element of, you know, whether that might be without a brand purpose, you're vulnerable to a one that enters the market. I've seen this happen with similar markets, and I'm concerned that at the moment you're leaving yourself vulnerable. If another brand were to enter your market and take your customers, you might have to then double down on your spending just to try and win them back which could be expensive and often when they've left you it's you know they're not going to come back you don't want to terrify them but you want to understand that this is not just a nice thing to do there's a pressing element here which you're going to want to help them try and capitalize on so once you've done the problem and what they want to achieve and you've explained this is where you are now this is where you could be but we need to do this fairly soon otherwise you know that opportunity is going to go away this is where you would step in and talk about what your solution to the problem would be explain how you would solve it So based on what you would do lay out the kind of steps or just briefly briefly break down what you feel would needed to be done in order to take advantage of that problem sorry the, the take advantage of that opportunity and solve the problem so this i've put an asterisk here because One way of doing this is to do some quick mock-ups. It's it's a mixed blessing because if the client becomes wedded to that final design, and that's not a design that you feel that comfortable with, it it was more like just I needed to get something out there, but I would really like more time to finesse it, then that's obviously a bit of a concern. But what I would suggest is if you show them a mock-up of what it could look like, It's very easy for them to visualize that. And when they see their brand looking differently or they see their website redesigned or they see new types of photography or a new like Facebook campaign or some Facebook ads, it's very easy for them to go, Oh, wow. I can absolutely see what you're talking about now. That does look much better or well. Okay. I see uh, you. You're bringing your vision to life. So this is not, um, this is not mandatory by any means, but I've certainly found that I've included this because, um, it's one of those ones that made sense, uh, but you don't have to include it by any means, but it's a very clear way. And I've had clients say that to me when they see it, they kind of go, oh, wow, that looks amazing. And that helps sell in what the potential future is. And again, it reinforces the distance they have to travel to get there. But obviously, clearly, you're demonstrating that you have the expertise to help them make up that distance and, you know, paint this perfect picture of what's possible. Next, you're going to talk about how you will do it. So this is where you in you build in trust and reliability because you talk about the your process or your system so how you work how you do things this is where you build into it so you might say we have a, a, a system it's a five step system that we work for every project um i would always recommend naming this system because uh, it's like the story brand brand script if he just said, oh, we've got a seven part framework that we put people through, it's not that sexy, but you call it a story brand brand script, or all of a sudden he owns it, that guy, Donald Miller. And then the the secondary thing is this, if you're, you know, I'll go into this another time, but you, that IP is yours to own. So you can really build on that. But having an ownable process that is uniquely yours, um, makes it much more exciting, trustworthy, and it feels tried and tested. So this is going to build in reassurance and and credibility with what you're offering and take them through each step so they feel clear, so they understand exactly how it is to work with you. So if it is like we would start with uh, an audit of your brand, then we would do a strategy session, then we would work out the deliverables, we would create the deliverables with you, um, you would sign them off. We would launch the deliverables and then we would review and refine and improve. And then we provide support. It's a seven step system, it's foolproof. We do it with every client. That's great. They understand exactly what they're getting themselves in for, the level of commitment required. Then you would start to talk about your team. So, key people um, in your team introduce yourself. People who like to see smiley faces to put sort of um, some sort of imagery behind the words and the text, particularly if you're sending a proposal cold. Um, And they perhaps haven't met your senior yet. And this would be where you talk about all the key people that's involved. It doesn't have to be massive um, or particularly long, but the key thing is you need to include relevant experience. So if you're working, if I was doing it, I was pitching to a hotel, I would talk about how we had a hotel in the family business. It's not relevant for every client, but if for this one, I'd certainly include it. So if I'd worked on certain brands or I'd worked for companies who work with certain brands or I'd won awards or I'd done anything, then that, this would be where I would include that, again, to reinforce trust and credibility. Next, we move on to our experience, and this is kind of, again, building that track record of success, and you're going to talk about the case studies that you've worked on that are relevant to them. I had a thing that the day I was asked to, if I'd done any holiday letting work, like for holiday rentals properties. Unfortunately, I had. I had a couple of case studies I could include. And, and the difference is that if you've already got work that is relevant, they're going to live vicariously through those case studies and it's going to make them feel much more comfortable pushing the button and saying yes to this because clearly you've got experience and a track record. And that's what clients are looking for. They're looking for a track record and success. So if you've got good case studies where you can include any sort of statistics, that's amazing. Um, Any awards you've won or any accreditations or qualifications you have, that's always great to include here. And again, the track record. So now we've gone through the team, the people involved who are going to be doing it, the previous jobs we've worked on, which are relevant to what you're doing. And now we've got our track record of success. So this is where you bring in your clients to give client testimonials. And with all these testimonials, Um, pick ones that are relevant to the industry or someone they might know. So again, it's just thinking. And if, again, this gets easier because if you're pitching to say, work with life coaches, that first job you've done with the life coach. And if they love what you do, you've got a great case study, a great testimonial and experience, which is going to only compound and make the next life coach you approach more likely to do business with you because you share that understanding. So again, um, pick testimonies that are relevant and that would be interesting to them from key people or picking out key points. Maybe there's an industry thing of, um, if I was talking to restaurants about helping them uh, build a strong culture, then my testimonies would want to be about reduced staff turn. you know, and like, you know, this is the first year that staff haven't left our our, you know the place down the road for a couple of pounds an hour more we're actually able to not only keep our best people but we can build a loyal team now no one has left in the last three years or whatever it might be but this is where you're going to try and want to be quite specific and again bearing their interests in mind remember we did the profiling of the key people involved and seeing what resonates with them we were now we'd build in our estimated timeline so they understand exactly how long this is going to take and what they can expect. usually when it comes to doing these things make it a very simple and easy to understand visual. Um, usually just like a staggered timelines, however you would do it. I've got a few examples I can show, but I'm not going to get into any two key specifics. So I wouldn't possibly include dates, but I would include timeframes on this and I probably wouldn't in include key milestones if I felt it was relevant. Um, so you might do phase one based on your process so it might be phase two one is research phase two is strategy phase three is x you know design and execution phase four is refinement and launching phase five is you know support whatever that might be so you you're going to break down the project into un, easy to understand milestones so they can get an idea of the length of the project involved and it's this is the case of They get to see the phases, so they understand it, but they also understand the total length. So if it's three months, if that's what it takes for you to deliver a project, or three weeks, they need to know that so they can begin to plan mentally for how long they're going to be committed to the project too. Then you're going to include your quote. So this is where you might or might not include the price for the job. So i found one of the best ways of handling this is to kind of offer a range of options or packages. So the client has a choice. Um, Ideally you could leave this out and you could just say, if you're interested in having a chat, then that would be the next step. And then you would have a kind of a meeting with them where you would do a kind of client sort of discovery sort of Blair ends approach where you're kind of sounding out what their ambitions are, what their budget is. And then you can do a price anchor, um, within that conversation, if that's how you want to handle it. Or if you've got package services, this is where you're going to include them. But I do find that by offering a range of packages, the client has a bit of bit more control and choice over what they choose to go with. So, and with also, this is also crucial to include an expiry date. So this quote is limited. Like we injected the scarcity within the proposal to explain, look, this opportunity, your market won't be around forever. It's the same thing here. This quote is valid until because we don't want someone from two years ago pulling out an old proposal and saying, oh, we want to take you up and we want to take this package when that's not a package you offer anymore. So we want to try and put an expiry date, again, inject a little bit of scarcity and urgency into the process. Next steps is going to, again, you're going to make it really clear. Um, so you, you're telling them what to do, what to, can I expect next? And that would be up to you. So that might be book a meeting, have a coffee, choose your package, whatever that might be. Um, You might say, oh, look, I've got, uh, we have a slot in our diary coming up in next month if you're interested. Whatever that might be based around how you work, you just tell them exactly what you want to do. But make it easy for them. So whether that's the case, if you just give them a mobile number or easy person to contact, you want, when they contact you, you want it to be as seamless and as smooth as possible. So although things like Calendly are great, you can probably deliver this online and then it would be you know, easy to book candidly. I think probably just a phone number or an email feels a bit more personal and you can do something like that so they can just contact you straight away. Next, we're going to go on to how you produce your proposal. So now you've put the structure together, we're going to talk about how you actually make it. So here's an example of a proposal I did for Brendan where I actually printed it as a hardback book. And within the proposal, I included some gifts of coffee and Cornish fudge. And because he's a comedian, I did some uh, sort of notebooks for writing comedy and some gold um, foil pencils. So I did one for Brendan with his sort of monogram logo that I came up with and one for Brian, who's his co-host. And I put this all together as a package because I wanted to sort of work with him. And this is the kind of level of production I would go into. It's quite excessive, but I wanted to kind of impress him and blow him away. And all of it was wrapped up and sent with a handwritten note all the way to LA. For producing all of my physical pitches, I use Docs Direct, which they're fantastic. They do super cheap, super fast turnaround, and it's really good quality. Um, You can get it done pretty much the same day or next day from anywhere, um, and you can have it shipped to the client direct. Uh, Plus, they also include a a packet of Haribo. Which is always a bonus. But I found them to be unbeatable as far as quality of production, ease of uploading your documents and paying. And like I said, I get them sent to my house, then I add the goodies and the gifts and I send it on to the client or I hand deliver it to the client. But they are phenomenal. And I know that when I've been doing like pitch books before, if you work with a printer, printers can be really quite difficult at times and they'll tell you it'll take a week and if you make any amends they're really difficult these guys are super fast so like I said I can't recommend them enough Um, I used a bookshelf bindery to do those um, embossed books so again that's what they do they do amazing sort of gifts uh, and you can go down that route as well and this comes down into kind of not the bribe category but something which is going to be memorable and make a good impact the other options you have done is you could look at something like Redbubble or Society6, where you upload artwork and then get it printed onto something. Uh, An example of this I did, I wanted to get Gary Vaynerchuk's attention, so I designed a poster around the the New York Jets, which I know is his favourite NFL team, and I researched his favourite NFL Jets players, and I rearranged all the players' names so that they were sort of stacked on top of each other, but running as a through line was the name Gary Vaynerchuk and I did it as a poster, and I, did, I got it printed by Redbubble and shipped to his office, and he said he absolutely loved it because I did the Instagram post as well. It's just that thing of if you're looking for, to combine a custom design with an interesting product, um, as a member of Redbubble, you get the artwork for a reduced fee because you're an artist. So I've certainly used them a, a few times as well to create like really bespoke artwork. Same thing with Carmeloon. They're really good value. They do great quality stickers and badges. It's just that thing of um, anything you can give them to just be a bit memorable that they're going to want to keep around the office is always always helpful. So I always like to include a kind of gift as well, which brings me on to choosing gifts. The key really with this is if you can get their heart, which is what they're passionate about, with their head, their logical side, you'll win their soul. And this was a phrase that I heard with uh, There's a guy called Cal Fussman who does a great podcast, and he was on the Tim Ferriss' podcast, and he talks about he was an interviewer for Esquire. And one of his challenges is he has to interview people and he has to ask interesting questions. And normally he likes to have about an hour or so with people to get them to know them, to really dig away and really get some valuable insight. And he was interviewing uh, Gorbachev at the time that Reagan was president a long time ago. And he was queuing and he was waiting. And the press officer said, OK, you've got five minutes with him. And he thought, well, I- what am I going to say in five minutes that's going to really get through to this guy? And he thought long and hard and he had the opportunity to talk to Gorbachev. And this is, you know, through, I think it might've been through a translator. And his question was, um, tell me a significant memory about your father. So when he asked that question, Gorbachev was stunned because all the other questions up until that point had been around kind of, presidential policies and stuff like that. And Gorbachev stopped and he said, um, when I was in Reagan's office, I picked up a tin cup. And when I picked that tin cup up, it reminded me of a time when I was a little boy and my father was going off to war and we had to walk from our village three miles to where the soldiers were signing up. And on the way, we stopped for our ice cream and we had this ice cream in these tin bowls. And I just remember the immense sadness of knowing that that might be the last time I see my father as he went off to war. And as I picked up the cup in Reagan's room, I realised we have to do anything we can to avert war because war is so horrific. And that was his response, obviously a bit more eloquently put than that. But when the press officer came over to say, OK, your five minutes is up, Gorbachev waved her away and said, no, no, no I want to keep talking to this guy. And I think he talked to him for like an hour and a half. And the reason I mention it is because at some point we have to balance the business incentive with a much more meaningful and emotional engagement with people. So if you can find a reason to tap into something which is close to their heart in a way that isn't too creepy, or, then you're, you're going to stand out and you're going to catch your attention. So again, I know Brendan loves coffee and sweet things. So that was an incentive. I know Gary Venture loves, loves the Jets. So this gave me an advantage because when you've got a pitch deck, why does he want to spend time reading it? he gets these things all the time. He's just going to dismiss it and chuck it away. But if you wrap it in something, which is, he, you know, if I wrap that in jets paper, he physically, I don't think he can throw it away because he loves the jets. So it's going to stop him. And that's what we're trying to do here. So if we can balance a combination of something they're passionate about, the logic of understanding the problem we're going after and something which makes sense financially, then that's the dream ticket. So as much as putting together the, your argument for wanting to pitch and financially why it makes sense for them, you've got to engage a bit of passion and get them excited and make you memorable. Here's an example here of WrestleMania tickets. Now, here's I'm going to run through a few examples now um, of how if you can get the right gift at the right time, it makes a huge difference. And so um, let's go through it. Mr. Connors. Hey, Fred. How was the wedding? Well,
1: I just wanted to thank you for making Debbie go through with it and everything.
0: All I did was fan the flame of her passion for you, Fred.
1: <laughs> you are the best.
0: No, you are the best, Rita. This is Debbie and Fred Clymer. Hi. Here you go, kids. Congratulations. <laughs> what is this?
1: No way. WrestleMania. No way. <laughs> <Sorry>! <laughs> so We're like in be in Pittsburgh. Eddie Thank
0: you, Mr. Connors. You're a real pal. Oh, this is the best. So, I love that movie, as you can tell. But the key thing is there that because he knew that was a real passion of theirs, that gesture given to anyone else would have meant nothing. But to them, it was really important. And it's like I said at the beginning you put their needs ahead of your own, you're always going to come out on top. And this is another great illustration of that. It's all to do with when he stops caring about himself and he begins to think about what's the one thing that that person needs at that moment that that I can deliver, then that's when I get real success. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? You little brat? You have never thanked me. So it's really important when we're doing the research that we find that opportunity. So this is an example of uh, how you can surprise and delight customers. And and it's this thing of why I'm making a, a, a big point of this part of the whole presentation is that we're trying to make a connection so that even if we don't get the business there and then, we're memorable enough that we make and we get through to them so that we're unforgettable. And that's what you want to do. And you want to play the long game because once you're known as, I remember you sent me that thing, yeah, your picture's really good actually. That is going to make a massive difference because we want to get through. We want to engage that emotion in people so that they think fondly of us. And this is a really good story of what Gary Vaynerchuk talks about, about surprise and delight and playing the longer game.
1: I wrote a book several years ago called The Thank You Economy. I've been on this kick for a long time that positivity rules that that's really where the action is and I wanted to send somebody a gift as a thank you for buying wine from winelibrary.com. Mm-hmm. So somebody places an order and we find their name and we find their Twitter account. When we look at their Twitter account, and this is what everybody can do, you can go look up people's names, find their Twitter account and then look at it. And then we looked at their tweets. We saw this guy loved the Chicago Bears. And he kept talking about the Bears quarterback, Jay Cutler. Just kept talking about it, talking about it. So the guy placed a $100 order that we made $13 profit on. But I told my team to send him a $400 signed Jay Cutler jersey on, from eBay, send it to him and say, thank you for being a wine library customer. Right? So the punchline was he was going to write back and, and, you know, tell us that he'll buy all his wine from us for the rest of his life. That was my plan here's what happens next. For three weeks, we don't hear a thing. So I call my team, I'm like, have we heard anything? They go, no. I'm like, son of a gun, Set this guy, goddamn Jersey, where the hell is he, right? Yeah. You know, super upset, da 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 All of a sudden, I give up on it, I'm boarding a plane, I get a call from Wine Library, and they go, you've gotta see this, and I'm like, what happened? I'm like, the guy? They're like, no, I'm like, damn. He goes, better. They read an order that came in for thousands of dollars of red burgundy and in the notes section it says, hey, Wine Library, this is my first order. Just found out about you. First of all, you have unbelievable prices on red burgundy. Second of all, I live in Texas, it's hot. Please ship this order after the summer. P.S. I found out about you because you sent my friend Steve a Bears jersey and that's how I became aware of your business. P.S.S. I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. <laughs> the punchline is this, of that story. Wine Library, myself, if you go look at my account, we give away stuff all the time, surprise and delight, find out what people care about. A lot of times they don't write back. I'm not telling you the story about when I bought the guy a PS3 and five games that I never heard a peep from him, right? But when you do the right thing, the right things happen. Everybody wants to do something and expect something in return. I'm not interested in coming here and promoting stuff. I don't need to do that. I needed to come here and try to give advice that a hundred people, a thousand people that are listening right now got value out of, and then that's going to work itself out for me one day. Doing the right thing is always the right thing, and you can do that in business and you can do that in life.
0: God bless your parents for instilling
1: that into you, because obviously. No question. I give them absolute. The circumstances of being an immigrant and my parents
0: are the reason I'm here. So it's this thing of we're playing the longer game. This pitch that we're putting together is just the initial introduction because they probably haven't heard of us. But what we want to do is if we can't win the business, we can at least make um, such a good impression that we can then get referred and get talked about. And this fantastic quote by Maya Angelou absolutely illustrates that, which is, I've learned what people, you know, basically it's how you make them feel. I've got some sort of thumbnail over us. So I can't read it, but you can read it. But it says it's all about how you make them feel, that emotional connection. So this is why I do put a lot of emphasis on the gift section and actually going a little bit and beyond. And if I'm honest, I really like this part of it. I really enjoy being creative and trying to find a really interesting way in to win favor with them because it's really satisfying. And I've certainly thought about starting it as a business because I've seen people offering a lot of money to kind of get in with big CEOs by doing this. So Here's an example. Now we've all seen this. If you recognize this, this is from the movie Up and I'll just play a quick clip and there are only only a few more, but this and I'll tell you the story afterwards of why this matters so much. So um, it's a very emotional clip. And when I've played it before in presentations, most of the room are reduced to tears. But the reason why I mentioned it was a friend of mine was uh, doing a wedding job and um, the bride and groom loved that movie. And in their rings inside inscribed in the rings, it said adventures out there. And what I was saying to him was, wouldn't it be amazing is if you took Polaroids on the day And you can go on Amazon for 40 quid and buy a replica album from Up and fill the front third of the Polaroids from the wedding with the incentive, obviously, they fill the rest of the book out. Now, when he does that, it's another level of um, recognition as a wedding photographer because most wedding photographers just give you a standard album a couple of weeks after the wedding. But if he makes an effort because he knows that in advance, he's found that out and he can deliver and then give it to them before they go away the amount of business long term that's going to bring because they're going to never stop talking about it and they're always going to be happy to hear from him that's all because he's paid attention to making the emotional connection which is going to help his business so in this this is why i'm saying the gift that you include with your proposal is very very significant this is an example of me i love dogs as you can see here's me with my dogs and this is biscuit and biscuit is amazing uh, and he's asleep behind me but the reason why i mention it is because when i was running a hotel one of the things i was very keen on was was my big thing was give people a good stay that it's so good that not only do they want to come back but they want to tell people about it so what we introduced was this thing that we like to call sausage karma which was where whenever we had a dog stay we would as a surprise, cook a sausage for the dog. So the, uh, we'd give it to the owner and go here, you know, we didn't want your dog to miss out. So here's a sausage for them. And they would melt. And we would do this all the time. And it got to the stage where people would phone up and go, I hear you give sausages out to dogs. We'd love to come and stay because dog owners talk to dog owners. And I cannot tell you the amount of business these sausages brought in. I was ordering two or three times what I would need for a breakfast for the dog owners. And they would love it. And you could hear from the kitchen, you'd be cooking it. And some of the, the star, my staff would fight to deliver the sausage because you could hear the, oh, from the kitchen. It was, a, you know, it's a, it's a 20, 30-yard walk and you could still hear it because they loved it. So what this taught me was if you can build that connection and get that emotional reaction and they, people fall in love with what you're doing or you're really wowing or charming them because you're putting their needs first, that emotional connection lives long after the deck. And uh, so that's why I wanted to make sure because this, like I said, Sausage Karma, it brought in so much more business than any marketing campaign could have done and was a a fraction of the price. So when it comes to, we're almost there now, you've done very well to stay on. So module nine, the delivery and the follow up. So this is just as crucial. You need to let them know it's coming and you need to track it each of the way, because if you send it. And it doesn't arrive or it gets lost or you don't know if they've received it. All that hard work goes for nothing. So it's crucial that you tell people ahead, I'm sending it now. I will be with you with this or you can hand deliver it. I know that's not always possible, but I know the fear of sending something to LA and not being able to track it because I got the past, the postage wrong. That's horrible because you're just left kind of nagging. Has it arrived? Did you get it? You're not making a good impression. So you've got to be able to let the know it's coming and track it. And then called to make sure they've received it after it's been delivered. Because we need to make sure that someone has got it, they've looked at it, confirmation that they've actually gone through it. Because sometimes you might need to go, have they had it? I need some sort of answer, please. And then generally it's going to be asking for a meeting because it's unlikely they're going to buy direct, but certainly you have made a great impression that they're going to take a meeting with you. And at its very basic level, these proposals are simply to open the door to the potential to working together. If you can, it's always great to visit them in person. I certainly will be prepared to do that, even if they're up in London. You know, I know it's a long way away, but I feel that the in-person greeting, if it is possible, is always a great thing to have. So what I'd do is I'd share a couple of my examples with you of pitches I've done that have worked, pitches that haven't worked, um, and then you can get a flavour for what works, what I'm doing. Um, some of them are quite old now, but I will break down what they do, so very briefly I'll run through them. Um, I will just double check in the chat if there's anything anyone has. Um, Some people have had to go. This will be a recording available afterwards, so everyone will have that. If there are any questions, we're almost done. There's only 12 modules. I will be happy to stay on and answer them for you. So here's an example of some of my ones. So this is the one I did to get the opportunity to work with Conor McGregor. So here it is. I put this together. Now, for me, as you see, it's a very simple layout. And I talked about here's the introduction. Thank you for taking the time to read a proposal. I explaining what he's going to get uh, and I'll share how I went about crafting this. So for this case, I created the identity up front before I had a chance to present it to him. So it's quite a lengthy case study. So here I talk about some of the brands I've worked with. I break down the logo and I break down the opportunity of how I crafted it. So in this example, I talked about how he's known for his left hook. And I went back and analysed footage and I thought, actually, could we turn this left hook into a logo, into kind of uh, that he would be, that would be owned by him and could incorporate the Irish colours. Then we made it into just his proposed first name. And that was the eventual logo we went with. And again, you can see it with the Irish green. And that was the final lockup. I did a mock-up to show him what it could look if it was quite high-end and exclusive. I then broke down the typography recommendations that I would, Personally, put together that he could use. An example of how it all comes together in a lockup there. I also, because I wanted to really drive it home, I worked on a family crest for him because I knew that was very important. So I did research into his background and put together this as a family crest. And I broke down everything that went into that crest from his modern day family to his Irish history. Um, small details like his grandfather's cap were included along with an octagon. Uh, and a sword, which is part of his traditional sort of um, coat of arms. Then a couple of mock-ups to show, show what that could look like. And then I explained that I felt the opportunity was for life after the UFC and launching his own kind of range of drinks and coffees and whiskies and clothing that would be called notorious. So I did this, and I explained that how this logo could be applied to anything. And I did a couple of examples of sort of high-end whiskey and coffee um, and things like that. And then obviously, just his own clothing range if he wanted to go down that route as well, and that was it. The response generally was very good. He loved everything we 'd done he took it forward, and that was that like I said it 's been a few years now, so obviously that i 've lost contact with him because the relationship came through a client I was working with, but still being able to present everything up front as I saw it and explaining my reasoning um, would work very well for me in that case. This was Cornish coffee I talked about earlier this was a, a failure. But it's similar sort of a proposal. I don't think there's anything wrong with the proposal. I just probably put too much of my own agenda onto it. Same layout as before, the introduction, some of the brands I've worked with, my experience, my thoughts. Continue my thoughts of how I felt that if they rebrand, they could actually, um, you know, break into another market and raise their prices. With this, I actually also created the branding up front because I was so confident and I was got quite excited to be honest. So I did their logo. I explained why I felt this was important. I went and to break down my inspiration for the mood board, the actual logo itself, and why that was all relevant. Handcrafted, bringing the art and textures, and then went to create some sort of mock-ups to show how it could be applied to sort of various materials to bring it to life for them to show what it could look like. I then again broke down the typography guidelines of how I put this all together and why I felt that was important. And then I slowly kind of went all in. I go, okay, this is how I would do it. I've got your colors here. And then here are some mock-ups of some very sort of stripped back options. They also had a hand-roasted range, which was like this as well. So like I said, here you've got all the mock-ups of how it would work and how it all comes together. They always had freehand coffee, so I did that as well. I explained my reasoning, which would be to be, you know, the expressive nature of the coffee through the designs. All these mock-ups were quite intense and full-on, and I put that all together. I sent that with uh, a bag of Haribo, hand-gifted, hand-delivered. I couldn't even get a meeting. I called and tried for a meeting for probably nine months, and I didn't get one. They claimed to be very interested and excited by it, but I think – in this case, their market is built on servicing sort of theme parks and uh, trampoline parks and sort of fairly bog standard crap theme parks in Cornwall and around. Um, but the, the great thing with that as a brand, they're part of Miko Coffee, which is a huge coffee monster that runs throughout Europe. So that would have been the in was, was my theory would be like if I can win Cornish Coffee then I might be able to get the opportunity to do the same thing across the whole range. So that was strategically sound. I didn't take into account what their business agenda would be. So that was an example of a failure. Here's the one I did for Pete Corrielli. So this was Pete's website before. It's it's a shocker. And at the time, I was explaining that you know he had a special coming out and he was kind of um, excited about that. But my concern was, well this website it doesn't work on a mobile it's really old and you won't be able to sell tickets so in the end what I did was I um, put together a Squarespace website and I copied all his content onto that put it in a Squarespace site it took me about three hours and I sent it to him and said look this is what I could do for you if you're interested I'm a huge fan of, this, of the podcast and like I said he loved it we went ahead we've been working together probably about four or five years now I'm working on his new tour and so it's been a really good like I really enjoy working with him. Financially, it's great. Um, but also it's that thing of the introductions and the opportunities have been really good as well because I'm a fan as well as a friend. And that was super easy because the opportunity was the website and Squarespace will allow you to do that where you can just take up a free trial for two weeks that you can keep extending. And I found that that's a really easy way of doing it where you take someone's existing content for their website, bung it into a Squarespace template, go to Unsplash and get better photos. And all of a sudden they're going to go, well, I can actually see how you would make this happen for us. Let's talk. And I've done that with a couple of clients. So that's always another opportunity um, for you to actually then provide a link for them to actually see it in it live, but they can't do anything with it unless they pay you, obviously. So, um, and I'm confident, even though I'm not that good at web design, Squarespace is so comprehensive when it comes to the back end and updating it that they would have no problem switching over. Brendan Shob was another uh had a great response, but didn't get what it wanted. I was too late with that. um I've noticed or known that Brendan would blow up uh for a long time, and I just never got around to doing it. Um, he will go on to do huge things he's hugely ambitious and driven and talented, so again, it was more um I wanted just to work with with a talented person with this one um but it, again, it was a case of he'd already got people that he worked with. He loved everything about it, but just was already locked into working with people. And that was sort of where I messed up here. But the whole point of this is to be honest with you and share my stuff. So again, introduction, my thoughts, which is that he lacked a clear identity for his personal brand. I explained the problem with that. The solution was this. I went on to show relevant experience working with Conor McGregor. Some of the bigger brands I've worked with, my process for doing the job, I went through each stage of the process of how I would do it some testimonials from clients who'd had rebrands from me and how happy they were. Then I explained what happens next and that was it. Um, I sent it all off as you saw before and although he loved it, um, it just there wasn't the opportunity there at the time. I didn't do my due diligence on the research side. Now another approach that you can take with these is to do a case study of work that you've done. So if you wanted to work in a particular industry and you've had success in that industry, you could create a sort of overall general generic industry specific case study which you could then send out to multiple clients an example of your competence so in this example i worked with a client who had expertise in the beauty industry and we put together um, a really high-end book that would we could send out to other sort of clients around the world which would demonstrate how successful that she and her agency had been so this is all to do with we put broke everything down from who she targets and how they did their strategy, the statistics around the success they'd had. And instead of just having the numbers, I decided to mock it up in a more compelling and interesting way. Um, And all of this meant that by having a case study of this quality, it stands out when it's in a printed book, it really stands out and you can rinse and repeat this to anyone within that industry every day, because once she's done that, she can just keep sending it again and again and again and again. And that's why you're going to be bringing new business. So if you find that you want to work at restaurants and you've got one killer case study, then there's no reason why you can't kind of do an amalgamation where you're talking about the opportunities, but then also just including an amazing case study because that might be enough. Because if you've got the stats to back it up, then that would work as well. And that, like I said, the advantage of that is you could get a hundred books made and PDFs and just be sending them five a day. And you know, you're just, absolutely going to again bring business back so the worksheets are here which i'll be sending over to you so here they are so this is the first one so who do i want to work with i need to map my vision i then to break down my ideal client profile and the industries i want to work with after that i'm going to think about what brands are within those that fulfill that criteria why do i want to work with them and who is the target that i want to reach within each organization and then going to look at trying to find an opportunity, whether that's on their website, their social media, or within their industry. And then how can I provide value? Is that going to be money, awareness, or efficiency? Then I've got the structure here to help you plan your proposal out in advance, which is going to be your introduction, outline your thoughts, the problem and desire, create the distance, the solution, how you'll do it, your team, your experience, your track record, the timeline, the quote, and the next steps. So That's how the structure works, the proposal. And this is your checklist. So that you know, okay, I've contacted the brand, I've sent the proposal, has it been received? Have I followed up? What's their response? And what are the next steps? So that if you're doing this, um, and particularly with the case study approach, if you're sending two a day, then you're sending 10 a week it's it's fairly easy to be able to know which are working, which isn't. It's a killer lead magnet that could be repurposed as well. So there are lots of benefits to doing a beautifully represented case study as one approach as opposed to the kind of bespoke approach. So that was it. That was the end of the session. I hope it brought you a huge amount of value. Um, as always, if you have any questions, please message me in the Facebook group or send a, an email to thad at thaducation.com. And if you found this episode valuable or helpful or there's anyone else you think um, needs to listen to it, please share and subscribe. And obviously any reviews, any ratings are you know always appreciated. Um, I want to try and deliver as much value to as many people as possible. And by you sharing and uh, rating the podcast, it helps me amplify my distribution and raise awareness. So thank you very much. And uh, yeah, have a great week. I will speak to you soon. Thank you.